It's the JT The Brick Show. They get the snap off. Hand off Jacobs. Has the first down of the goal. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown Raiders. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Raiders bring a blitz. He is smothered and brought down. Max Crosby came around for the sack. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Snap to car in the shotgun. Back to pass. Climbs the pocket. Eyes downfield. Fires a strike to Devontae at the 25. Breaks away 20. 15, 10, 5. Dives. Touchdown, Raiders. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. Thanks for joining us today on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. in Vegas. And we're on the Raiders mobile app, which is a really big deal for us. We have a lot of people listening on their phones, on their work tablets, in their cars, and they're streaming the show, and that's really the future of radio. Take it from me. I've been doing this 26 years, and the fact that we have people listening in other markets on the flagship of the Raiders is a dream come true. We're brought to you by PTs. They have the best happy hour in all of Vegas, 64 taverns, all these locations, happy hour 5 to 7, midnight to 2 a.m. They got you covered. They're a partner with the Vegas Golden Knights to watch games, great place to watch and tailgate before games. You know the program, PTs, they fuel the monologue, and I appreciate their support as we have them again going into 2023. A lot to get to today. Busy show. Chris Myers, longtime broadcaster, the face of NASCAR for Fox. He's a play-by-play voice. He does sidelines in the postseason. Chris Myers will join us later in the show. Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate, vice president of risk management at the greatest sports book in the world. Now, it might not be the favorite for you. Maybe you like to be in a tower or this or that. It's the sharpest sports book, the best lines, the best odds. It's the Westgate. That's no debate. Ask any sharp out there. We'll talk to him about the moving lines coming into this game and, and the odds to win the Super Bowl, which is a little bit surprising on some of the movement here over the last 24 hours. We'll get into that. And a little bit later on in the show, I want to get into quarterbacks because the quarterback topic is enormous in Vegas right now. Enormous. They're talking about it today on NFL Network. Every day, no matter what show you tune into or TV debate show, some of it's going to be about Derek Carr and his status with the Raiders as the Raiders would like to get something in return for him. They would like to. Why wouldn't you? You got nine years out of the guy. The guy was a really good player. He's a value to a lot of other teams, so they'd like to get some draft equity in return. And the fact that there's other quarterbacks that are being linked to Las Vegas for a number of reasons. So that, to me, is going to be our topic of the offseason until the quarterback situation, until we get more clarity. And I think I have a little bit of clarity here. I think I have an understanding of what the Raiders want to do with their plan. But the problem is the Raiders only won six games last year. And if the plan went according to detail the way it should have, because it's a good plan, it's a vested plan, everybody agrees with the plan that the Raiders had when they hired the coach, And the head coach, and you might not have, but everybody in the building, the owner, as they vetted this and they made their decision, the plan wasn't to win six games. The plan wasn't to win, I don't think, 13 or 14, because as we discussed on this program, the roster wasn't very good. A lot of the blame could go to the past regime, players that were drafted who whiffed on, players that were brought in that didn't play well. And the Raiders don't have to rebuild. You don't rebuild when you have Devontae Adams and Max Crosby. You never hear the term rebuild. I've been with the Raiders when they won four or five games, and they didn't even talk about rebuilding back then. But the Raiders now have to find a way to get this program back on track in the win-loss column because the scouting and all of that 
Uh, they're pretty confident with that. They are. They're really confident that they get the right people in place. Dave Ziegler's staff is, is set to really pounce and do a great job with all the draft picks that they have and some of the cap space that they have available and some of the relationships they have around the league. Patrick Graham you know, coaching at the Senior Bowl and to see uh, other players up close that other coaches might not get an opportunity to interact with the Combine East-West Shrine game in Vegas, whatever you want to say. I think the Raiders are pretty confident that they have the team behind the scenes in football operations set up to go do a good job, a much better job than Alex Leatherwood and Jonathan Abram and Damon Arnett and some of the players that were drafted in the first round that probably helped this team go backwards instead of forward. Now, remember, I'm a, I'm a big believer that they should have won at least four out of five games where they had double-digit leads. You might not believe that. I believe that. I believe that they should have had nine wins blindfolded. Nine wins would have been okay. It would have been one less than last year where they had to run the gauntlet and win four in a row just to get into the playoffs. They should have been the same team this year, maybe a little bit worse, maybe a little bit better. That's really what we've been arguing about and discussing Amongst the Raider Nation. Why wasn't the team better than 10 wins from last year? Why'd they only get six? And we're sitting here discussing that almost to exhaustion. I told you what the plan is. I told you where they missed. Every show we told you where they missed, where they swung and missed, what happened and all that. We didn't cover any of that up. We discussed every game. I host a freaking post-game show for the team. I host a post-game show in the building after the game with people walking by me. We address every question. We take every phone call. We've debated it, but none of us have really dove into the debate of the offseason and what needs to be the priority. And today I was texting back and forth with Vinny Bonsignor, who joins us on Wednesday. I really enjoyed his column today. Cover story of the Las Vegas Review Journal, sorting out who will stay and who will leave. The Review Journal calls on roster for 2023. So this was really good content. And what's important as I bring this up to you again is my job is to give you the best content available in a town where people will talk about some of the most ridiculous sports topics on sports radio for 20 to 30 to an hour a day. One of my old program directors who became a mentor to me, named named Andrew Ashwood, I wrote my book, The Handoff, pulled me into his office once or, or, you know, in my career. And he told me, he goes, no one wants to hear what you want to talk about. Your job is to talk about what everybody else wants to talk about. That's why when you listen to me, you're not going to get a lot of garbage. You're not going to get a lot of filler. You're not going to get a lot, a lot of killing time and trying to stall for time. We don't do any of that. We try to give you the best topics all the time that you might be interested in. Some days I might be better than others. I get it, but that's why I count on you to react to what I'm saying and for you to disagree with me or agree with me or bring me to another level where maybe I'm not seeing something. Maybe I'm not seeing something that you see, and I think we went through that on that journey this year. I mean, this past year, you were hard to deal with, man. I mean, you were in my face on this show. Man, we had to ban a caller or two. We had to kind of control the thing. We kind of had to rein it in a little bit, man. You were hard, and I'm not even talking about you on social media. I'm talking about you just coming in here and kind of losing it. And, you know, for everybody who says, oh, JT, you did a great job this year. I don't know how you did it. Oh, my God, what a great job. Stop. It's the easiest job in the world, man. I'm talking sports for a living. I love what I have to do here. Some days are tougher than others, but we're not brain surgeons here. We're not cancer doctors. We're not police officers running into danger. We're talking about sports. 
But 2022 was one of the most difficult years in Raiders radio on any flagship in any market because there was a lot of change. Over a calendar, year and a half, three coaches, John Gruden, Rich Basacci, and to Josh McDaniels, Mike Mayock let go, Dave Ziegler comes in, the Henry Ruggs accident, all the things that went on with the draft picks, it was hard. And then to top it off at the end, Derek Carr doesn't play the last two games, and Derek Carr's outside the building. You name me another radio show or another radio flagship that went through more than the Raiders. You can't. Now, other teams have won less games and had controversies. I mean, listen, I know guys on other markets that have talk shows, and it's tough. Try doing a talk show with the New York Jets every day. That's not easy to do. Try doing a talk show with the Carolina Panthers last year. That's not easy to do. There are other markets that struggle with the topics of content because the team isn't going well, but the Raiders had a lot of noise in the background. Man, there were a lot of things happening. And then we went into the preseason with the new regime here, and everything was quiet, beautifully quiet. Team won 4-0 in the preseason, and then the season started, and the epic disaster happened. Kyler Murray in the home opener, down 20 points, wins the game. And then kind of a lot of things went bad after that game. A lot of games that should have been won were lost. A lot of games were very dramatic. A lot of games where the Raiders showed up, they didn't finish. So what we're trying to do is we're done sorting through that. We're done sorting through that. We went through all of that. We've covered it every second of it all we covered last year. And now we pivot and we try to figure out how the team could get better and what they're going to do to get better without you and I knowing what's happening in the building, behind the walls, in those offices, because the Raiders don't want to tip their hand. They got a lot of money to spend. They got draft equity. They got a great relationship with Tom Brady, potentially, That could be brewing. Uh, They're trying to get a deal for Derek Carr to get something in return. And then they got to scout their ass off. They got to scout everybody who could be an offensive guard, who could be a middle linebacker, who could be a, a quarterback to draft and groom in the first round or the second or third round. Man, those guys and gals over there are busy. They got a really busy offseason. And we got to kind of take some nuggets from them. And if they give us a little bit of hints on what they're doing, then I'll put it at the top of the radio show and we'll debate it. And uh, again, I thank Vinny for this content because Vinny today gave me something really cool to talk about. And he talked about the players they should keep and the players who are 50-50 and the players that they should let go. So any one of these players that I'm mentioning now, I'd like you to react to. I'm not telling you which one. It's up to you in the Raider Nation. Any player that I mention now, should he stay or should he go? Bobby, if you can get that Clash tune, I should have ran that by you beforehand, the Clash, should I stay or should I go? Uh, We're going to have some fun today with this because this is what we do. We point fingers. We play GM. We pretend we're the head coach, and we're going to see if certain players should stay or should they go. And again, thanks to Vinny, I'll give him a writer's credit. I'll give him a credit here on the podcast download there, and I'll buy him some lunch for this today. As he's sorting out who will stay and who will leave, according to the Review Journal. And they started off with Josh Jacobs. There you go. Turn that up. It's good background. Should I stay or should I go? I'll tell you the story later about when I was pulled over the stage. Swear on my kids as the clash opened for the who. I'll tell you that story. You'll love that story. All right, so Josh Jacobs running back. He's got to stay. The Raiders have the edge on this because Jacobs' market value 
according to Sport Track, as Vinny put in, I didn't know this. List Jacobs market value at four years, fifty-one point five million, with a twelve point eight five two average annual salary. Wow! Hold on and pump the brakes for a second. I don't get involved in anybody's money. Don't get involved with mine. I won't get involved with yours. But that's a lot of money. Holy crap. How do you pay a guy that much money in a position where running backs get injured, get hurt, and you've been led to believe over the last couple of years that the running back position does not require that much money? We don't have to draft in the first round. We don't have to pay our running back because running backs are going to come and go. Not the case here with Josh Jacobs. He had a Raider MVP type of season here. So I believe clearly the Raiders could franchise tag him. I don't know how he would handle that. But I think that Josh Jacobs should be one of the top two to three to four to five players. That's what the franchise tag is there for at his position. But I think that the Raiders, because they're in Vegas, Josh Jacobs likes it here. Uh, There's no state taxes. I don't think that Josh Jacobs should get a fair market deal. I think that Josh Jacobs should get the best that he can get. And he would have multiple teams, multiple teams offering him jobs. And for the Raiders, they can match those offers or they can franchise tag him. So that's a big decision. I think most Raider fans believe that Josh Jacobs will be back. Is, is that true, everybody? Raise your hand. Beep your horn. Beep your horn. Don't worry about it. You're on Flamingo. You're on the 215 Russell Road. If you're in the Bay Area, raise your hand or beep your horn. You keep Josh Jacobs. Okay, good. I knew that. We're all on the same page here. Then Denzel Perryman. Inside linebacker, I think he's solid. Now, he's been injured, and he gets banged up from time to time, but do you keep Perryman? Yeah, I like Perryman at the right price. I like him at the right price. And if the financials stay in the range, Vinny Bonsignor in the column says, Raiders would be wise to bring back one of their defensive leaders. I agree with that 100%. Uh, Vinny in the column today, Mac Collins, he should fit fine with the Raiders' payroll. Jakob Johnson at fullback, I like the way he played. He's a good fullback. Now, if you want to have a fullback in the league, remember if you listen to JT the Brick in the third person, I don't like fullbacks other than Marcel Reese, one of my bosses who might be listening. So I want to make sure I throw that disclaimer in. I'm not a big fullback guy because a lot of times, unless your fullback is catching the ball, a lot of times when you bring in the fullback, you bring him in, he comes into the game, the guy in the upper deck goes, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, here's the fullback. He's going to run it. They're going to just run it into the pile. They're just going to run it up the middle because they're going to follow the fullback. But this guy was damn good. Johnson can play, and he buries people. He runs people over. I like him. I like him as a raider. He's a damn good raider. Keep Jakob Johnson at fullback. I'm good with that. Deron Harmon, as they're talking about, the Raiders are hoping that the young safeties here are able to develop. Harmon represents an inexpensive veteran Steady force who can play at a high level and guide and lead the team. I once again agree with Vinny Bonsignor. I think he's a good player. He's got a lot of experience. I think Harmon has a spot on this team. He's from the Patriot way. He knows how to lead in the film room, in the locker room, on the road, and at home. I got no problem with him coming back at all. Uh, Jared Stidham is a must, in my opinion. A must. Jared Stidham needs to come back. He could be the starter. I think that's a bit of a reach. He'd definitely be the backup under Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson. He could be the bridge starter if the Raiders get Bryce Young with the seventh pick overall. And then you can play Stidham for four weeks and get Bryce Young and just throw him in there. Or C.J. Stroud and just throw him in there. They're the future. I like Jared Stidham a lot. 
Uh, Andrew Billings, the defensive tackle, solid run stuffer. Uh, I'll, I'll stay on the edge of that one. I don't have a big opinion on Andrew Billings. I don't break down the film as much as others here. He's a rotational player. If you, if you think he's worth being around here, okay with that. Then we get to Foster Moreau. This is an interesting one on Foster Moreau. These are the players that the Las Vegas Review Journal believes should come back. Uh, the Raiders value Moreau as a compliment to Darren Waller. I agree. He can play his role as a blocker and someone who fits in the passing game. I agree there. His market value, according to Sports Track, is four years, $36.1 million, and that's an annual salary of $9 million. And Vinny put in so money could come into play. Time out, time out, time out on Foster Moreau. I hope to bump into him at various events. I like Foster. At $9 million a year? I just told you I don't get involved with other guys' money. I consider Foster Moreau a backup to Darren Waller. But Darren Waller was not available last season, so Foster Moreau had a start. And that should come into play when it comes to his salary. In the perfect world, you're paying Foster Moreau to be a backup tight end if you have Darren Waller. If you trade Darren Waller, or Darren Waller's not with the team, and you don't get someone, Foster Moreau's pretty good because you know you can start him. So we all know that Foster Moreau is valuable, but hey, there's only so much money, dude, to go around $9 million a year for a backup tight end? Okay, we'll keep that in mind. And then Vinny has the category of 50-50. Jermaine Illuminor, right tackle. No, no. He's a good player. He's okay. Okay, swing right tackle possibly. This, this offensive line's got to beef up, and they've got to have better players here. The good news is he played in the system in New England. Okay, he seems to be a leader. He could test the free agent market. Jerry Tillery at defensive tackle. No comment on that. He's a rotational player. Clee Farrell was put in there at 50-50. That was interesting to me. I was surprised by that. I thought Vinny would have him in the category of most likely not to come back or unlikely to stay. I don't know why you would want to bring Clee Farrell back in any capacity because he was the fourth pick overall in the draft. He was a top five draft pick who didn't live up to those expectations. He's not a bad guy. He's a good football player. But you, he's got to play for a steep discount. And why would Clee Farrell want to play for a steep discount in Las Vegas where he's been there, done that, instead of going to a team where he could be a starter, maybe, and get an opportunity to do that again? And then we move on to Rocky Sin. Ooh, this one's interesting because Pro Football Focus has him as the 50th best cornerback in the NFL. Woo, 50? 50th? I need a guy who's starting... I need a top 20 guy. I need a top 20 guy. Rocky Sin. I, I can't go with the top 50 guy. No, 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 no. And that, and that trade and that contract, what's the value for Rocky Sin? He might be looking for more than that, and chances are someone will pony up. The Raiders should resist, according to Vinny Bonsignor. I would agree. If you can't get anybody, it's nice to have Rocky Sin, but I don't think he lived up the expectations this year. I thought he played well at times. I need a guy who can play on every play and dominate. As Chris in West Oakland calls in, I need a guy who can catch the ball. I need, I need six, seven interceptions by one of my two starting corners. I need six or seven interceptions. This is a franchise that had Mike Haynes and Lester Hayes. Soul Patrol one and two. I need guys who can catch the football and jump routes. Did you see Dak Prescott? 
throwing the ball and the Niners making plays. I need guys in the secondary like the 49ers do. So Rocky Sin, I'm not passing on this, but the value on that deal better be good because they need better than that. Amir Abdullah running back. I thought the Raiders kept too many running backs, in my opinion. Fact, not fiction. No one's fault. Not Dave Ziegler's fault. They didn't know what they had with Josh Jacobs. They didn't pick up Josh Jacobs' contract extension because Josh Jacobs didn't deserve it. Josh Jacobs didn't deserve it because last year he didn't, he didn't impress people enough to say, give him a maxed out contract extension and a 50-year option. Now he has, like Aaron Judge. He's outperformed the contract. How many running backs do we need around here? I just kept the fullback. Josh Jacobs, I'm assuming, is coming back. I don't need three more running backs. They're not playing. I got the stats right in front of me. I got the stats on how many snaps they played, how many times they were on the field. Josh Jacobs wouldn't come off the field. He wouldn't come off the field. All the other guys are sitting there with their shoulder pads and helmets ready to get in, and Josh Jacobs is like, no, you're not going in. I'm, I'm not coming off the field. So I don't know how many running backs you want, but I thought they had maybe one more than they should have had this year. And then Vinny nailed it. Unlikely to stay. Cornerback Anthony Averett, outside linebacker Jordan Jenkins, defensive end Deshaun Bauer, inside linebacker Javon Brown, wide receiver Keelan Cole, who had a couple of big plays this year. Then they looked at Sidney Jones, uh, Brandon Parker, who I'll be with tonight in an event, uh, Isaac Rochelle. So they're looking at guys here that Vinny thinks unlikely will be back. But we don't know if they'll be back or not. So the, the, you know, the jury's out on that. But these are guys that you can replace along the way. As the great Raider Mort once told me, and I talked to Raider Mort today, almost, almost talked to him every day, says, JT, those are just a bunch of guys. Now under Dave Ziegler, we, there's no more time for a bunch of guys. I can't have a bunch of guys on this team anymore who are just okay you got to be in extreme shape. If you're a defensive tackle, you can't be overweight and barely get into the sideline because you're too heavy. I need guys who have waist like Howie Long in his prime. I need guys like Rod Martin, Rod Martin at linebacker, who can intercept three balls in a Super Bowl. We need to find players here that are going to elevate the value of an education in the, in the film room and in the locker room. We need smarter players on defense and just a couple of players, just a small amount of players on offense. Maybe a guard, a veteran tackle, and that's about it. I don't, I don't need another wide receiver or two. I don't care who your practice squad receivers are. I don't care who they are. Got Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller, and most likely Foster Moreau, and Josh Jacobs, and, and Colt Miller, and Dylan Parham. Congratulations. He got a rookie honor that I'm going to talk about a little bit later on in the show. So after reading Vinny's column today, and bravo by Vinny, I think this team's going to go heavy on defense, heavy, heavy, heavy on defense, and uh, help out the offensive line. And I don't know what's exactly going to happen with the offensive line because if Tom Brady comes here, which I'm a fan of, if he doesn't come here, I'm not going to die on that hill. If he doesn't come here, he doesn't come here. But if he does come here, Tom Brady will bring an offensive lineman right behind him In first class, the guy behind him will be one of Tom Brady's offensive linemen. He'll bring someone, someone from Tampa, someone from New England. Someone's going to come with him. And then Tom Brady will bring a player or two. He might bring two players because Tom Brady Brady comes to Vegas. He wants to win, and he's going to have guys that he's comfortable playing with. That's the monologue. I need to take a breath. 
Thank you. Let's get out to Fish in Berkeley. Fish, start us off on who stays or who goes. Give me one player that's important to get the show going today. What do you got? Okay. What? Okay. I called in. I wanted to talk about something else, but, man, what a loaded topic. All four players that you mentioned I think are worth bringing back, not just because of what they bring on the field, but what they bring off it. All four of those players, the very first four players you named, not only are drinking the Kool-Aid that Max Ziegler is serving up in an ice-cold pitcher, they're going to help distribute that Kool-Aid to the rest of the locker room. That's important. I'm talking about leadership, accountability, buy-in. Those players bring buy-in. Okay, so for that alone, we need to figure out a way to bring those four back. Now, real quick, I just want to touch on my opinion only, okay? I think a target for any any team in the offseason is, hey, we want to get to 10 or 12 and see what happens. We want to get to 10 or 12 wins, okay? And in my opinion only, six of those games, you're going to get to about six wins with, with consistent average or above average O-line and D-line play, line of scrimmage play. You're going to get to four or six wins with consistent average or above average QB play. And then the other games, bounce of the ball here, luck of the draw there, bad call, good call. But 10 to 12 games are always predicated on strong, consistent O-line and D-line play and consistent average or above average QB play. I just want to put that out there for whatever it's worth. Hey, show up, show out, and holler just win, baby, when you go out. Yep, thanks, Fish. Appreciate you checking in. You know, the offensive line is fascinating to me because of what the Bengals did in Buffalo uh, this past weekend where they played with three backups, and they were able to win, and they might still go to the Super Bowl with three backups on the offensive line. So for the Raiders here, the Raiders have offensive linemen that they're definitely going to keep who I think are good players. I think Andre James is a good player in this league. Is he one of the elite centers in the league? No, he's not elite, but I think he's pretty good. And congrats to Dylan Parham on being selected to the Pro Football Riders All-Rookie Team. Parham is the 34th player in Raiders history, dating back to 1974, selected to the All-Rookie Team. And the third guard to earn that honor, joining Steve Wisniewski in 1989 and Kurt Marsh in 1981. So the Raiders put that out today. Congratulations. I think that's a great move. And I think that Dylan Parham had some great moments, some games that, you know, there were some mistakes he made, but the guy got drafted as the first Raider draft pick under Dave Ziegler. He was durable. He played a lot. Great teammate. And is going to be a perennial starter for this organization on the offensive line. And he can play center. And he can play either guard position. So I like that about him. I thought that was a very good draft pick. It wasn't Alex Leatherwood who's playing himself out of the league. And I want Alex to do well. He was a good kid, good kid, had a great career at Alabama. But the Raiders are looking for better players. Again, thanks to Vinny Bonsignor for this column here. I mentioned every player. We talked about every player on the roster that we think is going to stay, who's 50-50 or who's going to go. Vinny will join us tomorrow, and I'll get more comments from him. But if there's one player that you think's on the fence, like Rock Yassin, in your opinion, stay or go, I'd like to hear your opinion at 702-365-9200. We're brought to you by Resorts World. I love Resorts World 8 Cigar Lounge. What a place to have a cigar. How about Red Tail, Interactive Sports Bar, Zook, the biggest nightclub in America to date. 
and Doghouse Saloon, home of my Monday night football show. Let's go. Down to five on the play clock, gets the snap, hands off to Jacob, stutters to the right, bursts through the whole 20, 25-30, he's off to the races here in Seattle, nobody's going to catch him, 25-20, 10, ball game, bye-bye Josh, 86 yards in overtime to walk it off for a second straight week, touchdown Raiders, victory Las Vegas. I have nothing to say. Oh, it's just an ISO lead. It's a beautiful run. You called it right up the middle. Oh, my goodness. Let's go home. <laughs> Boom. What a great moment. Jason Horowitz, Lincoln Kennedy on the call. JT, back with you. Number 702-365-9200. Who do you think's the most controversial Raider player throughout Raider Nation to bring back or let go? Does that make it easier for you, Raider Nation? I want to make sure the show is accessible to you and you have something to talk about. So I just gave you every player. Should he stay? Should he go? Or is he 50-50? You'd participate by telling me if you have the time today on which player is the most controversial that you go, you know, if we don't bring him back, we could be in trouble or we got to let him go because we got to get a better player. Isn't that what this is all about? This is all about everybody was evaluated last year by Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniel. Every player, including, drum roll please, Derek Carr, he was evaluated. The evaluation was not good enough. I understand why. I also think that Derek had some things going against him that were out of his control. A subpar offensive line, a defense that really isn't a very good defense. A lot of things that are happening here, but they evaluated the quarterback and they want to move on from the quarterback. And I understand why. They want to get someone better than Derek Carr. A lot of Raider fans want someone better than Derek Carr. But you got to thread that needle. you got to get someone better than Derek Carr. And, you know, that means you have to get 12 or 11 quarterbacks or 12 that are ranked ahead of them and like seven or eight aren't coming because they're under contract, so they're not coming. So you really got to get – you're really fighting to get one out of two or three, and they're expensive. And it takes draft equity, or you got to convince them to come. The rest of the players, I'd love to see an upgrade from certain players in that defensive secondary. I hope we see an upgrade, but – I'm also, I'm also led to believe that if Patrick Graham has better players at linebacker, defensive tackle, a couple other players, and they're smarter than the players that we hear, then the system's going to work better. That's what I'm hearing, right? I'm hearing if they get better, smarter players and they put them in on defense and Deron Harmon's only going to play better. Then maybe Rocky Sin plays better if there's two new linebackers. I think there's a lot of truth to that story. But the offensive line is going to be very interesting to me because they don't need good players. They need very good players to go up against some of the defensive players that we're seeing in this league, no doubt about it. All right, let's move on to the NFL playoffs, the update on Patrick Mahomes' injury. Ian Rappaport talking about the high ankle sprain and what his expectations are. High ankle sprain was the diagnosis for Patrick. Something we we're going to be talking about right up until kickoff. And now Andy Reid talked to reporters earlier today. Sounded pretty optimistic about everything with Patrick Mahomes. First of all, this is obviously not the first high ankle sprain that he's had. Also had one in 2019. Did not miss any time with that high ankle sprain. And this one is not as serious. He called it a tweak post game. All of that is good news. 
Andy Reid also said that Mahomes has been attacking rehab, doing it diligently, working extremely hard at it, and said he's going to play, which is essentially what Patrick Mahomes said after the game, did not want to come out, knew he was going to be able to get back. It's not going to be perfect. He certainly might be limited as far as his mobility, but he is going to be out there. All right, so I really like Ian Rappaport. He didn't tell us much there. He basically said that the coach says he's okay. He's better than expected. He's going to be limited a little bit. We all know that. He's playing through a high ankle sprain, which for a quarterback is a big deal. That's a really big deal for a quarterback because he's not going to be able to do the things he's supposed to do, which is run. And what he does better than anybody is run, and he runs with a purpose. The play might start off with chaos, but then right before the end of the run, He's able to pick up an extra six or seven yards, or when he runs towards the line of scrimmage, he throws the ball underhand, flips it to an open receiver. So if you take that all out of the game, everybody, if you wonder why Cincinnati's now the favorite over Kansas City, I think it's because of that. Is that if he's not able to run around wild and crazy and try to make all these exotic passing plays, and he has to stay in the pocket, that lessens the opportunity for Kansas City to win the game. They could still win the game. But it's similar to Steph Curry. If Steph Curry's playing with a high ankle sprain and his legs taped up and he can't run as fast and set his feet and get into a position off a screen to hit a three, the Warriors are a different team. I'm making the comparison all the time now of Steph Curry to Patrick Mahomes. They're identical. In two different sports, they're the two best players, the best shooter and MVP candidate, four-time champion in Steph Curry. And the play of Patrick Mahomes, an MVP, a Super Bowl champion in his prime, getting better and better. But when they're injured, they're clearly different players. Here's Andy Reid as he gives his update. And ahead of time, Andy Reid's not going to give a lot of information to the opponent, which is the Cincinnati Bengals. Here's the head coach of Kansas City. As far as injuries go, really, Patrick is the the main one. And as you guys know, he hurt his ankle. So it's uh, that's a... Uh, you know, it's been reported that it's a high ankle sprain, so pretty accurate. Yeah, so that's, that's what we're expecting here. We're expecting a quarterback that's not going to be at 100%. How does that affect the line? And the line going forward, is it going to change much? I will tell you this, and I'm going to save it for Jeff Sherman, who's coming up next. I talked to a gambler today, a sharp as they're considered, a guy who bets 50000 a game. Not 5000 50000 a game. He's bet that bet multiple times in his career. He said, and he didn't tell me he made a $50,000 bet, but he makes significant bets, that he jumped all over Cincinnati as soon as that line came out when Kansas City was the initial favorite. He was one of the first to jump in the pool in the deep end and go big with a significant bet on Cincinnati. Now, he's one of a number of bettors around the country that did that and, and placed a significant bet, and that's why the line changed. I'll ask about that theory with Jeff Sherman, who's going to join us from the Westgate, coming up here in a little bit. So that's important. Also, I want to mention another fun topic today because I did it last night on my show and a lot of people bit on it and talked about it is what's happening with the announcers now. For the first time that I can remember, Tony Romo's getting heat. Joe Buck is getting less heat than he normally gets. Some people, and this is what I want to ask you about, is Greg Olson. A lot of people think Greg Olson is the new shiny toy, the new shiny object. And that's a compelling topic. For the Raiders, because Tom Brady, if he doesn't come to the Raiders or Miami, has a job waiting for him at Fox for over $300 million, some number that doesn't make any sense to me. And Greg Olson saying over at Fox, I want, he said this on record, he wants to make it difficult for Fox to make a decision to put Brady over him. So Al Michaels was accused of being tired in the last game he worked with Tony Dungy. 
Tony Dungy I have a problem with because of Tom Flores. Tony Dungy got into the Hall of Fame with one Super Bowl, and Tom Flores had two. And they made Coach Flores wait until his 80s, and they didn't make Tony Dungy wait. And Tony Dungy, I think, is a subpar broadcaster, and he was terrible on the wild card game. He did the Chargers-Jacksonville game with Al Michaels, and Al Michaels is now being accused of having no energy. And I think that's because he worked with Tony Dungy, who was terrible on the broadcast, and it affected Al Michaels. And then Kevin Burkhart is the lead anchor. He's the lead play-by-play voice for Fox working with Greg Olson. He'll be on the call at the Super Bowl. And you have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and Chris Collinsworth and Mike Tirico and Al Michaels also in Kirk Herbstreet on Thursday night. I think they're all good. They're the top broadcasters in the industry. They're at the top of their game, but you don't think so. So I want to include that topic into the show today because a lot of people are talking about Romo slipping. It's hard to do that. A lot of people think the Tony Romo stick is kind of winding down of him calling the play ahead of the play. Tony Romo was caught eating food on the last game. Jim Nance went to him when he was chewing food and talking. Imagine if I was hosting this broadcast every day with my mouth full and chewing and you could hear it over the microphone. That's unprofessional broadcasting by Tony Romo. And look, Tony Romo made a mistake. He was in the middle of eating. The camera came back on. And next thing you know, they ask him a question and he's getting ripped for this. The guy who's been criticized more than any broadcaster in my career is Joe Buck. People think he's a homer in baseball because his dad was a legend with the Cardinals. People think he's always rooting against their team, no matter if they're in Philadelphia, Dallas, or Detroit. I think that Joe Buck is a fantastic broadcaster. Any NFL play-by-play or color analyst got you on a downward trend? Is there one out of all the guys I mentioned that you're souring on during this postseason? Because it seems to be Tony Romo. I think Tony Romo's pretty good. He set the bar for salary. He set the highest bar for salary. Everybody should send Tony Romo a thank you card because he set the bar for making more money. We're brought to you by the 872 laborers led by Tommy White as they continue to build this city at a fast Tom, you're leaving everybody guessing, uh, and you said you'll take your time. Do you have any type of a timetable as to what you might want to do regarding your football career? Jim, if I knew what I was going to do, I'd have already done it. Okay, I'm taking it a day at a time. Uh, Tom Brady dropping F-bombs. How about that on a podcast? There you go. (laughs) On Let's Go, JT back with you. Always a thrill and a pleasure to have Jeff Sherman, VP of Risk Management, over at the Westgate at the Superbook. And, Jeff, I was just telling before you came on that a good friend of mine who is a sharp better who bets a lot of money instantly jumped on Cincinnati when the line came out. Initially, Cincinnati minus two. I see it over at the Westgate now. You have it Cincinnati minus two and a half as the road favorite. Why such a big line move? Yeah, when we opened this up initially, we opened up uh, minus three on uh, the Chiefs. And, you know, we obviously didn't put enough stock on how the public was going to react to Holmes' high ankle sprain. We moved it rather quickly. It wasn't an overwhelming amount of money, especially when you're in that, that range near Pickham. You can slice through those numbers rather quickly. So we were pretty aggressive moving it. And we've been staying ahead of the market trying to see where the buyback point is from the sharp players. Yesterday we got some at plus 105 on Kansas City and plus one and a half. But then that slowed down, so we went up higher. 
and we got to two and a half today on the Bengals, and we're still right in public support. You're starting to see a little bit of sharp support show up where we're on the Chiefs plus 130 money line, but it's really going to be a dichotomy of a public versus sharp game. All right, so explain that a little bit more with the injury to Patrick Mahomes when everybody saw the injury real time with the line and then started wondering if the high ankle sprain would get better. Sometimes it gets worse in the middle of the week. So the injury to Mahomes and how that played into this. Well, when we watched it and he finished off the game and he said, okay, well, a lot of people might expect, you know, he's going to give it a go. He said he'd, he'd try. But, you know, from us dealing with players and other sports too, football, basketball with high ankle sprains, that's usually a four- to six-week injury. Mm-hmm. And even if he thinks that he can go ahead and, and go this week, you're looking at what percentage Mahomes is going to be. And when you factor that in, I don't think there's many people that are going to want to support with their money a Mahomes that isn't 100% or near 100%. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've seen on this. So we've been, like I said, aggressive moving it from Chiefs 3 to Bengals 2.5. And, wow. and I'm expecting, like, it, it feels like it's still one way. If, you, if we get to 3, I'm sure we'd see sharp money immediately at 3. But then that could be overwhelmed with the public money this weekend. So, I mean, you see it heading towards 3. And if anything, it's going to go to 3, not back to 2. Jeff Sherman at Golf Odds is where to follow him. A must-follow over at the Westgate, VP of Risk Management. What about the move in the total uh, down to 46.5? What can you tell us about that? Well, that kind of coincides with Mahomes' limited Mm -hmm. ability. You know, we opened 49, it's down to 46.5. And and if he's not going to have full mobility, then you're looking at less points and less ability Mm -hmm. to go deep, especially pushing off on that foot. You know, he's got those, those big plays that can open up for him and, you kind of take that out. It might change your game plan, more running, more short passing, things like that. So a lot of sharp money on the under in this instance. Well, Jeff Sherman joins us. Let's go to the NFC championship game. Everything we've seen, just the liability in general. Is, is the public been going against Brock Purdy? Have the Sharps been going against Brock Purdy? I think the 12 wins in a row. What is that, seven for him? And all of your years of doing this and setting lines and the research and the team you have behind the scenes, what is the comp? To Brock Purdy, what do you remember of a similar storyline with this kid winning all these games? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, especially, you know, he was the last pick of the draft, and you just don't see that shot in there and excelling like he has. I mean, first of all, someone like that usually doesn't get the opportunity, and you don't ever hear from him. He doesn't make the team or practice squad or anything. And for him to do what he's been doing and have the composure throughout, you know, we have seen sharp play against the Niners. We saw it with Dallas, especially right at post, right as the game was starting, the fours dissipated in it, and it closed uh, San Francisco three and a half against Dallas. Obviously, the 49ers covered, but we're seeing the same thing here this week. We opened the Eagles minus one and a half. It's up to two and a half, and we're still seeing a majority of Eagles support. Yeah, I'm surprised. Is it sensing that someone's going to move it here, not you, or one of your competitors to three here, considering home field advantage and what Philadelphia has done this year and their quarterback play and their overall play against San Francisco? Because that two-and-a-half number seems firm here in Vegas across the street. Yeah, a lot of places look hesitant. You're seeing two-and-a-half minus 15s, minus 20 show up. I mean, that's a big number of three, and I think there would be immediate buyback on the 49ers at plus three, especially at minus 110. You might see some variations, plus three, minus 20 or 25 to that degree. But uh, three flat, that'll that'll be immediate San Francisco support from the sharp players. So hesitancy right now to go to three. Jeff Sherman, as we wrap it up, it was great. Right before you came on about 10 minutes ago, you put the Super Bowl potential matchups up. 
and the Bengals and the Eagles would be a pick em. Wow. And the biggest favorite would be two points, Niners minus two over the Chiefs and the Eagles minus two over the Chiefs here. So it's nice to see how often do we see a Super Bowl where there isn't a heavy favorite or six point, seven point, four and a half point favorite here. Is this common? Uh, no, but we've seen it a few times, you know, recently. We've had a, which one was Seattle mm-hmm. when they played um, against New England. That was a close one. Um, it's been a few times in the last 10 years, I can recall. But um, in this instance here, though, when you, you mentioned Philly minus two against Kansas City, San Francisco two against Kansas City, so much of this now is going to be if the Chiefs win, how did Mahomes look with them winning? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, how effective was he? Because that could really sway it where if he's really effective and they win by 10 points, we could see the Chiefs going off favored in that instance. So, you know, right now with all things being equal and the way that people are betting the Bengals against the Chiefs, if he looks to that degree and squeaks out of the game, then you would see the numbers that we have up. Jeff Sherman, final one, Jeff. Uh, the liability that would have been on Buffalo and or Dallas. I know the public loves Dallas, and there was a lot of sharps and individuals who love the Buffalo Bills. I picked them preseason, as you know, to win the Super Bowl here with you on the air here. The fact that Buffalo was out of the picture now, a great day, night, and week for the books. For us, they were about break-even, which mm-hmm. you know isn't very good because that means there was a lot of Buffalo support all year. But them being such short odds all season, it really – you know, it was steady uh, support, but nothing that would mount to large liabilities. Um, right now we have some on San Francisco because we obviously bumped them up when Purdy ended up having to play in the early stages. So there is some San Francisco liability, um, some Cincinnati liability, because they were just a month ago as high as 20-1. to 1. Mm-hmm. And with them being in the Super Bowl last year, and then going on the run, there's been a lot of recent support for the Bengals. All right, Jeff, last one. As we speak now, if you can tell us, looking at in front of you, the shortest odds to win the Super Bowl. Who's the favorite going into championship weekend to win the Super Bowl? Well, we have the Bengals at plus 230, Philadelphia plus 270, and the Chiefs and 49ers each at plus 310. Thank you, Jeff. Outstanding as always. Appreciate you coming on. All right. Thanks, JT. Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate. Wow. Cincinnati went from being an underdog to a favorite on the road. And ladies and gentlemen, the Cincinnati Bengals are the favorite to win the Super Bowl. According to the Westgate Superbook, the sharpest book in town. I got no problem with that. I think Cincinnati winning the Super Bowl does no damage to the Raider Nation. Raider Nation unite, as I always like to say. That's another big topic over two weeks. I'll throw that out at some point to wake you up. Is, is what's the team that you think wins that does the l- least amount of damage to your brain as a Raider fan? It's got to be Cincinnati. I know Raider fans that despise the 49ers. Oh, my God. Especially the Niners were just in town. Raiders lost in overtime. Uh, Raiders won Kansas City to lose more than anybody. More than anybody, I can promise you that. And Philadelphia, I don't know. I mean, maybe Raider fans want to see an NFC team win if they can't win it. Uh, Eagles won a recent Super Bowl with Nick Foles in the Philly Special. I don't want to see the Eagles win two Super Bowls in a matter of four or five years. That's too much for me. I grew up hating the Eagles back east. Cincinnati wins the Super Bowl. No harm, no foul. You don't know many Bengal fans. I don't know many. It won't bother us. We'll tip our Raider cap to them, wish them well, and move on into the offseason. One hour up, one more hour to go. Got a good hour coming up. Chris Myers from the NFL on Fox, and we'll dive into the quarterbacks. We're getting hammered all week.